0: Greetings, and welcome to The Farcast. I'm Alex Holmbrecht, and I'm joined, as always, by Daniel Binkert. We're of College Relations. Uh, today, our guest is Lucinda Mays, whose uh, technical title is Ground Supervisor at Shattern State. But, but uh, really, what she does is, is she works a lot on the, uh, the horticulture aspects of campus. So I guess, Lucinda, I want to talk to you first. Where'd you grow up, go to school, and have you always been interested in horticulture? Oh, lots
1: of questions. Yeah. I grew up in Nebraska, and Roger and I came back to Nebraska. So okay. that's okay. the loop of how we got to Shadron. Grew up in Kearney, um, graduated from Kearney State, traveled around and worked at different public gardens um, throughout the southeast. And then in 1998, we came back to Nebraska and moved to Shadron.
0: So Lucinda mentioned her husband, Roger, who was a a longtime professor of theater here at Shatter State College, just recently retired. So I'm sure he's really enjoying all of his his spare time now. But is Roger from Kearney as well?
1: No, he's from a little town called Donovan, which is outside Grand Island. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 I have an uncle who lives in Donovan, actually. You've heard of Donovan? Yeah,
0: south of Hastings.
1: That's amazing. I hadn't (laughs) heard of Donovan until I met Roger, so...
0: Yeah, I suppose it's probably small enough. Yeah,
1: they they claim 800, but uh, no way. Uh, and I don't think
2: so. <laughs> uh, t- tell us, Lucinda, about well, I, w- I want to know if how, what your how your interest in horticulture came about, and uh, after that, what does a
1: horticulturist do? So horticulture is gardening. Right. That's basically what is horticulture that f- is. Fancy
2: word for gardening. There's I think be more so. To
1: it. Well, no, I don't think there is much more to it. Hort is Latin for plant, and culture is you sure. know the doing of. So that seems reasonable. The doing of plant care. Okay. Is, so basically it's gardening, and then the kind of horticulture that we do here, that I'm doing here, is as a public horticulturist. So that means doing gardening with the intent that it's in spaces used by groups of people. So, not just gardening for gardening's sake, but gardening for people's sake. So, if I were to have a descriptive title of the work that I do for Shadron State, it would be Public Horticulturist. Okay. And that's the kind of work that I've been doing since the 1980s working in botanical gardens, um, uh, finding ways to uh, introduce gardening to people, to make spaces more enjoyable for people to visit, just creating beautiful spots in an outdoor environment. So that's kind of a a rough description of what public horticulture is about. But to get interested in it, I just grew up in a gardening family and everybody gardens. Great. So that's how that goes.
0: Lucinda, how long have you been working at Shattern State College? And what did campus look like when you first arrived?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, I've worked at Shadron State in a number of capacities. And my first job working for Shadron State was when I was working on my master's. I was working as a graduate assistant on some of what I was calling the plant collections. Some of the plants are already in place that needed rejuvenation and and some specific kinds of care, like um, restorative pruning and some of those things. So that was 2004, Um, And then I started working for the college as a contractor when the museum director at the Sandoz High Plains Heritage Center hired me to gather together plant collections for teaching workshops um, at the Sandoz Center. And from there, um, uh, the college offered me a position doing the same kind of work, but across campus. So it's one of those positions that sort of grew from a little bit to a bigger bit. Of work.
0: Well, I suppose that makes sense that it, it grew. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs>
1: and I was very pleased because it's not typical to find a position in public horticulture um, in a smaller institution in a smaller college, and certainly it's not typical in Nebraska. It's just not. You'd have to be in Omaha and Lincoln for there to be public horticulture jobs advertised as such. You just you just don't find them. So for us to be able to come here out to northwest Nebraska to the Pine Ridge. And for me to find a position in public horticulture is absolutely nothing short of miraculous. I'm so glad that Shadron State saw the value in having that kind of thing.
0: And, and you really had uh, a, a diverse and, and unique landscape to work with when, when you came here, right?
1: Oh, you mean growing the Pine Ridge? Yeah. Oh, yeah, challenging. There's the word I would use. challenging. (laughs) It's challenging. (laughs) Well, you know, we get an average of 10 to 16 inches of rainfall each year. Now, this last year has been better. Yeah. Thank goodness. But oftentimes uh, we get 12 inches of rain a year. So that's challenging. Uh, The soils are heavy, silty. Volcaniclastic siltstone. Did you know that? I didn't know no. that. Yeah. No. Well, my nice. office is down the hall from Mike Lighting, so when the geologist yeah. <laughs> says, "Don't call it Butte Rock,"
2: <laughs> yeah, you, <have laughs> you gotta to listen. Yeah, you okay. gotta listen. <laughs> well, I think like Ashfall fossil beds in eastern Nebraska. I wonder. I suppose there's some aspect to
1: that. Oh yes. Okay. Oh, there's a whole world just r- uh, under our feet. Oh yeah. Of geology that is absolutely fascinating. So to to learn how to garden here. I had to learn about the soils here. Now mm. in Buffalo County, depending on where you live, there can be up to six feet of topsoil. Well, I didn't see any six feet of Foot. topsoil. Oh, Are yeah, we like six <laughs> inches or lower. <laughs> no, no. Oh no. You know, a sometimes I an about an inch and a half, <laughs> okay. sometimes four inches. Um in the in the that's a good question though, Daniel. Okay. Where the grass where we're in the grasslands, which is we're in the the you know, mixed short grass, mid grass, so both of them together, where those root systems have been allowed to grow year after year after year if we haven't plowed them up, um, you might have a layer of four to six to eight inches of organic material that's based on the grasses having grown there and sloughed off uh, cells and, and whatnot, dead plant parts over the years. Um up here when you're on a campus and you're planting, usually you're around a building. And if you think of the building construction that we've been seeing in the last several years, they dig big holes in the ground for foundations and yeah. basements. And they go immediately to what I used to call Butte Rock, but I don't anymore. <laughs> um, and that's very poor soil. Okay. So so I don't know how I got off on that, but oh. Soil. So- excuse me bless you
2: (laughs) right as i'm going to ask a question so if we take say um eastern nebraska or something where we've got a different type of soil there, what is that soil made up of versus what soil would be made up of out here
1: you know all of the soils are made up of the same things it's either silt or or clay or um loamy particles Uh, but we have more silt out here okay. than they might have in some places in the east. They also have more rain, which more yeah. things grow. They have a longer growing season. So the organic percentage of the soil is much greater in okay. the eastern part of the state. And therefore, mm-hmm. the soils are more acidic on the eastern part of the state. Okay, And more acidic is better, although we often think of acid as a bad thing. Mm-hmm. More acidic is better. Okay. So...
2: Good to know. I all sorts of things. Every time I talk (laughs) to you, I learn something new.
1: I'm glad. I I can't help. It's public horticulture, Daniel. (laughs) I can
2: tell you're excited
1: about it. (laughs) Well, I do love it. I do love it. There's nothing I'd rather do.
2: So uh, let's see, a question we have here. What did you do before CSC?
1: Oh, the most recent thing before CSC was the work that – I did in Georgia for Callaway Gardens, which is a large botanical garden not too far from Atlanta. Okay. And I worked there as a public horticulturist. Uh, did plant trials, grew display gardens, um, did an awful lot of public speaking because um, there's lots of gardeners that want to know. So yeah. you have opportunities to do those things. The um, Part of the work that I did for Callaway was to present the southern segments of the Victory Garden, which is the PBS television show that was shot down there for their southern segments. Right. So that was quite an eye-opener for me. Oh, I imagine so. Yeah. TV was something new to me, so that was amazing.
2: I always like when I think about that. We've got somebody from from those programs uh, out here in Shadron.
1: Well, you know, the Victory Garden is an amazing program. It's been on for years and years. It started out with Jim Crockett. And was shot in Boston Yeah, um, uh, in the parking lot behind the studio. They, they put some landscape timbers and some soil in and yeah. started gardening in front of the camera. So it's yeah, on-camera well, well. gardening. It's pretty amazing, and it's really grown. Yeah, that's great. But for 10 years, I did that. The, um, the, uh, the crew would fly down from Boston, and we'd shoot the segments, and then they'd send them back to the editor and right. did all those television communication kind of things.
2: Yeah, How often did they come down, like for a given season of the show? Was it multiple times in a year or was it one big segment, do do a bunch
1: of different segments in one go? Kind of hybrid. Okay. It was a little bit of both. Um, some years I did as many as 16 segments. Okay. Um, and that was typically accomplished by... Um, shooting those segments in three different times. Okay. Three, maybe four. Kind of depended on right. on how many times we could get what we wanted to do in one take. Oh, absolutely. So.
2: Was that also an, I always think back, uh, this old house is kind of the, the king of long takes. Was that the same style for the Victory Garden segments?
1: Yeah, and the same camera operator. Oh, it
2: was? Yeah, and cool. the
1: same executive producer. Yeah. And the same sound guys. <laughs> yeah. The the That whole series... Victory Garden, this old house, New Yankee Workshop, and Julia Child. Yeah, uh, the French chef was um, directed by Russ Morash, who was the executive producer and pretty much the creator of yeah. all of those. Hmm. Well, he had a style. <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh! And he had an, an a marvelous, marvelous group of people to work with. I learned so much. Oh, I bet so. Uh, oh, yeah. What One of the things that I learned is what it takes 45 minutes to describe in a workshop, it takes three minutes of television yeah, time. And then, <laughs> and then you're done. You better come up with a new topic. So there was lots to learn, but that crew was, oh, so good at what they did. They really knew what they were doing. That's great. It was fun.
0: And this was in the 90s?
1: Let's see. Yes. The first year I did it was 1989. Okay. And did it for 10 years, so... Well, we came here in 98, so 98 was the last shooting that right. I did.
0: And you also worked uh, with the PBS show Iowa's Favorite Gardens, right? Yeah.
1: yeah, that was fun, too, and that was something completely different. <laughs> Iowa has a... Um, uh, it's not a series like the Victory Garden, but they would put together a series of specials called Iowa's Favorite Gardens. And I think we only got three years' worth done, as I recall and then they decided to do something else but we traveled all around Iowa it was fascinating yeah there's a lot of gardening that goes on in Iowa so
0: yeah you know i i wouldn't say i'm an expert on the Iowa landscape but driving back to my where my wife's family lives in Michigan you
1: go have to go Iowa. all go
0: through yeah. Iowa and um during the summer and and fall it's not terrible to drive through there because you know it's really beautiful there's all types of things growing
1: and oh yes so and the many tree.
0: terraces and yeah tons of trees yeah uh, the winter is a little bit sketchy but <laughs> it's well, uh that's i mean that's part of traveling during well, the winter
1: that's you try not to if you live out on the great plains just stay home and yeah. wait, till, wait till the weather's good stay put let, yeah. them, let them come to you the backyard farmer has come to us here at the college from lincoln And if you're familiar with that program, I used to watch Backyard Farmer when I was a little kid. That's one of my favorite shows. So they would come out to the college. Oh, they've been out a couple of times now, and we've done different mini tours Mm -hmm. of, of planted spaces on campus. So that's one of the ways public horticulture can take the horticulture that's going on out to the public, hopefully inviting them to come in. And so that's one of the things that's part of what we do here at CSE. Sure. Yep. That's great. It is fun. Yeah.
2: What, what
0: are um, some of the, you, you mentioned the, the backyard gardener coming on camp or backyard farmer, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, coming on campus. Um, what are some of the improvements to the exterior spaces on campus that you're most proud of?
1: Oh, gee. We've been working hard to... Enhance the landscape, to create spaces that are inviting and restful for students and the staff and faculty that work here. So that that to me means someplace where you can get a break from the wind. So we've planted an awful lot of trees and shrubs, um, a break from the heat in the summer. When we have camps here, it's a good idea for the people who are visiting to have a place in the shade. And also to To soften the look of all of these different architectural styles that are planted, you know, on a grid. Yeah. Because that's what city blocks are, is Mm -hmm. a grid. So we're planted on a grid. So I think one of the things that we've done over the years, there's never been a year that we haven't planted at least a 100 trees since 2006. So that's a lot of trees. Yeah. And And I don't mean just this odd tree or that odd tree, but trees that are meant to develop canopies, shade, wind breaks, home for, homes for wildlife, Yeah, um, and then a, a diversity of trees, because who knows what horrible tree plague is going to come along next. We've, we've lived through Dutch elm disease, but most of the elm trees didn't. Uh, our ash tree population in the state is threatened by emerald ash borer, which isn't here in our part of the state yet, but it will be. I mean, that's just... That's how bugs do. Yeah. So growing a diversity of plants uh, is important. Plus, it's just flat more interesting to do it that way. And then it makes a better teaching collection, too, for our plant sciences classes. If they have a ginkgo tree where they can uh, take the students to show, here's a tree that has been growing uh, in, in on the planet's surface since fossils since the time of fossils. Oh, yeah. Uh, How old is a, a ginkgo? Oh, I wish you hadn't asked me that. I don't know.
2: Into the dinosaur age, right? Well, <laughs> I want I've read that at some point.
1: You know what? Uh, uh, probably with Fred Flintstone. It's been around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I really don't know the okay. answer to that. And I honestly should. So uh, I can't tell you for sure. But nonetheless, it's it's something that a teacher of plant sciences would know and be able to express to the students. Um, and have that be part of the learning experience. So not everything has to come out of a book. Some of the things that we can learn about our environment and this, yeah. the classes we're studying, we can actually go out and physically put our hands on. And I think that's a real benefit.
2: This makes me want to look up. You know, what are some of the common plant species that have been around for however many millions of years, and where can I find?
1: Them? Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, there's fun. a lot. There's a lot too that the um, we've started planting an oak collection over by the uh, math and science building. <laughs> And one set of plants that I've put in is um, Gamble Oak, okay. which has been here since the last Ice Age.
2: Nice. Mm-hmm. So
1: uh, not the individual plants. They're no, not 10,000 no. years old. <laughs> but that species yeah. you know, has been around. So that's pretty cool.
2: Absolutely. Well, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So one of the key words nowadays is sustainability, if I can say it right. Um, How do we incorporate sustainability into the CSC plantings? You
1: know, if we don't incorporate sustainability, we won't have a long-lasting landscape. That's just the reality of it. So to me, sustainability means what can we do with the soils that we have, with the climate that we have, um, that can be maintained without a high level of interaction from humans. Right. So when I plant a tree that's drought resistant, that doesn't mean that I don't water it when it's a baby. Yeah. That means as it grows to maturity, it is well-suited to survive in a droughty kind of climate. Right. So what we do uh, to make those things happen is select plants that are well-adapted or native- to where we live. So ginkgo is not native. Ginkgo is from China, but it's well adapted. It's a okay. tough, tough tree. It does fine with the soil pH that we have because we have alkaline soils. It can withstand the wind. It's just a good tree.
2: Does it act as an invasive species? Is there any danger of that? I know the, what's what's one of the, our invasive species here that you've mentioned it to me before.
1: Are you talking about Russian olive? Yes yeah. That's oh, the... Lord. Yeah, that's, that is well adapted.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs>
1: <No>. <laughs> yeah. But Russian olive is a good example of a well adapted tree. The conditions right. here do not make it even flinch. Um, and ginkgos are well adapted as well, but they're not invasive. Okay. So knowing which one you're putting in the ground is really important. Right. Um, and so it's probably not a good idea to plant Russian olive. It's a good idea to plant a ginkgo. They're hard to find. They're expensive. And they are the ugliest tree in the nursery. (laughs) They are so homely when they're young. They look like a Charlie Brown tree. Oh. (laughs) It's got this little horrible little stem and it just sits there and looks like a reject.
2: (laughs) Well, next time we're running around campus looking for, uh, for photos uh, of the various plantings, uh, I want to see the ginkgo.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, we have uh, five now. Great. Because I, I love them. Yeah. So <laughs>
0: where, where are they located?
1: Oh, there's one right outside Sparks on the north side. Okay. Um, it's a male cultivar because uh, they come male and female, as some trees do. And it's a male cultivar because the fruit of the female ginkgo Smells kind of like rotting flesh. Okay. So, lovely. So I didn't think I'd put that on the sidewalk, where where students have to walk back and forth. I and
0: <laughs> well, and in my office is in Spark, so I appreciate that. Yeah. I don't have to smell that when I yeah. walk into work.
1: <laughs> but you know, they don't smell all that bad. They're just kind of like awful and if the conditions are hot and humid and people have stepped on them. Okay. So, but no. <laughs> so we have, a. I do have a female planted uh, on campus. So it's up, it's up the in way. the pack. Okay. <laughs> it's out of the way. Nobody will be, ever <laughs> walk near it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yep. Uh, so
1: well-adapted trees. Um, we were talking about... How to choose? Is that where we were? I kind of got off on a tangent, I think, about... Yeah, I've drawn a blank myself. Okay. talked
0: about sustainability yeah. and... That's it. Thank yeah. you. Yep.
1: So water is a huge, huge, huge concern and should be for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and how we water our plants is important. Now, in the beginning, for example, we planted a tree row down at Winifred Street. Uh, instead of a barbed wire fence, we now have a living fence of trees to denote the property line, to get those trees up and running, when we planted them, we ran a um, a length of drip line and we and with emitters at each tree so that we can turn water on whenever we wish to or whenever it's needed, and water those trees. Now, what will happen is, as conditions allow, we'll taper. Off the watering and at some point those trees won't get any supplemental watering at all so in that way the irrigation of those trees is sustainable once we get them up and running yeah then they're on their own and whenever that can happen That's the ideal. Now, in the planting beds that you'll see around campus, so places where there's shrubs, maybe trees, maybe some perennial flowers and grasses, and then everything mulched over, underneath the mulch, you'll find that same drip line with the emitters. And, um, for example, the Klein bed out on 10th Street has that same setup. We didn't turn it on at all last year because it's been planted since 2012, so it's had eight growing seasons, yeah. and we had 20 inches of rain this year. So Yeah, that ought to help. <laughs> yeah, but if we had a drought a year, I would still go back and turn that system on. And those systems last a long, long time because they're under the mulch and they're protected. Yeah. So one way that we sustain uh, the landscape without a whole lot of inputs, that's that's the big measurement tool. Does it take a lot of water? Then yeah. it's probably not sustainable. Um, is to use mulch because it holds water in the soil. It um, keeps the temperatures from fluctuating hot to cold and hot to cold, which makes the plants grow better because their conditions are more reasonable. Um, It suppresses weeds, and that doesn't mean to say that keeps the weeds away. There's no such thing. (laughs) But uh, we don't have a lot of inputs for labor on weeding that. Now, Charlie and I and some of the folks that work with us will go out and um, prune and weed and do something on every square inch of of those mulched beds every year. It just kind of depends on how long they've been planted. Right. So well-suited plants, uh, taking care of the watering needs, with low water use, uh, applications of irrigation, which is what drip line is, and then also some of the neatest things that have happened out on the east end of campus with the new construction out there is the swales that are in place to catch the water as it naturally flows downhill, either as snow that melts or as rain that falls, um, and those swales are placed in, in such a way that they irrigate the windbreaks that we've planted. So if you look at the three Eagle Ridge housing units on the north side, there's a big kind of L-shaped swale. It's a detention ditch. It's not meant to hold water a long time. Just hold it till it either sinks in or flows off. But planted on top of that rim is a windbreak that'll slow down the snow as it blows in from the northwest and keep it off the buildings a little bit. So that's the plan for them. So all of those things kind of work together.
0: Wow, fascinating. Yeah. Sustainability requires a lot of in, in, intentionality, it sounds like.
1: It does require intentionality, and it's uh, here's the thing that I think's neat that Shadron State has done that isn't always in place at every institution, and that is that in, in-house... We're able to come up with solutions to some of these needs rather than hiring an outside designer that understands the concept, but maybe doesn't understand the institution because we're, we're our own deal. Mm-hmm, you know, yeah. Shadron State is its own deal. And we get to see, so those of us who work on these projects get to see over the course of years and decades how the work that we've done impacts yeah uh, different parts of campus. It's fun.
0: Clearly, you're, you're an advocate for public out, outdoor spaces and, and um, as you mentioned, sustainability, things like that. Um, and you talked about teaching collections for students, but there's also opportunities on campus for teaching uh, those individuals who work with Forest Service or whatever, working with, with trees and plants and, and even wildlife. Um, are you asked to, to present a lot? Are, are there workshops that are on campus and you're able to kind of use these living collections? Talk a little about that,
1: okay, um, without the living collections i don 't know I would just be talking to hear myself talk. I guess we really <laughs> we really have to have we really have to have the goods so that we can show folks who come in for our workshops or who invite us out to their workshops what it is we do and how it works. so um, one of my favorite things that we do every year is work um, in the spring to have a tree pruning workshop. Pruning trees structurally so that they don't fall apart in snowstorms. You know, sometimes you'll see something like Winter Storm Atlas that we had in 2013 or the Mother's Day snowstorm of 2015, and you'll see these trees just fall apart. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason those big old trees broke is not because they aren't healthy and strong. They're healthy and strong, but structurally they had weaknesses. And the weaknesses come from the fact that they didn't have proper pruning in their early years to make sure that they had a strong central trunk. I mean, it's really just as simple as that. So it's important to have a whole bunch of people that know how to do that. And so we've been, since I think 2006, been having tree pruning workshops. And the folks that come to those are just a mixed bag. It's the guys on our grounds crew the guy on the city parks crew, uh, Nebraska foresters, uh, who all comes? Uh, homeowners, faculty and staff here at the college, uh, sometimes students. It really depends on the schedule and what we're doing. So that really basic plant husbandry of how to grow a tree in our area. Uh, is something that we've repeated year after year after year, and folks are used to it now. They come to it, they know when to expect us to have it. Um, It's always during spring break, just so you know. If you want to come, you should come. Uh, But that kind of hands-on workshop that's intended to either uh, inform beginners, people who have just bought a house, just planted a tree, want to take care of that tree, don't want it falling on their roof in 40 years what have you, as well as guys who do it for a living as arborists come and get those refreshers. So there's that kind of thing going on. Um, Every few years, the Nebraska Nursery and Landscape Association has come to the campus and had their workshops here, and there's a certification program for learning how to be a a garden center, a horticulturist, and they can use our campus for their ID portions. So they walk through and they have to prove that they can name this plant or that plant. And ah. that's pretty amazing. So that's fun to watch. Lots of invitations to speak outside um, because we live out where you have to travel quite a bit uh, in order to go from from one botanical garden or one public horticultural spot to another. And so uh, we get asked to present on all kinds of, of um, topics, things like design, plant combinations, I'm trying to think what some of the most recent ones have been, um, pollinator, pollinator attracting plants, all kinds of, I don't know, if there's a gardening topic, we've talked about it, so... Good. Yeah. Keeps you busy. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, it's and it's interesting too. Every time I get invited to go somewhere and speak, there's usually somebody else there speaking too. So I get to hear what they yeah. have to say. Yeah. Nice. And so there's this exchange of ideas, this kind of web of of horticulturists across the region.
2: So you mentioned uh, pollinator systems, and I think that is a good lead into our next question for you of the interconnectedness of natural systems, ah. and it seems to be a, a t- fascination of yours. Tell us about it.
1: Oh, my gosh. There's so much to say. Daniel, I'm not sure how long you want me to...
2: (laughs) We'll we'll give the... the, Was it the 40,000-foot view? (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) I don't
1: know. I'll I'll do my level best. Pollinators. Um, When when I say pollinators, the first thing that often comes to mind for some people is honeybees. And the other thing that comes to mind is butterflies. And, of course, both of those are insects that are pollinators. And there's a whole range of, of... Insects that are pollinators beyond those two. But basically, if we create habitats that keep those populations healthy, we're creating habitats that keep other populations healthy too. You know, they're almost like the canaries in the coal mine. Oh, sure. To me. So that's an example of the connectedness. If I make something good for a honeybee, that means I haven't sprayed anything uh, as an herbicide, because they're sensitive to herbicides. I haven't sprayed any insecticides. I put out plants that give nectar and pollen, and um, they have place in the landscape for reproductive space, and they have place where they can get water, and they have a place where they can get out of the wind. So those are all kind of just simple, but rather large ideas for, for wildlife habitat of any kind. So... Um, pollinators, to me, are an excellent way that we can practice our sustainability and measure it by, look look at all the pollinators. Yeah. We've got a workshop coming up in June uh, on bumblebees. That is going to be one good workshop. I'm oh, looking forward like to that. The Xerxes Society, uh, which is um, conservation of invertebrates, okay. you know, bugs. Yeah. Um, Named after an extinct butterfly is combining with the Nebraska Environmental Trust and UNL and Shedron State College to bring the workshop here. So we're going to spend, I think it's a six-hour day, learning about bumblebees in the landscape and then collecting and identifying the different bumblebees that are here. And there's lots of them. Who knew? This is great. The pan the panhandle has more bumblebee species than the other parts of the state. How about that? Oh, that's I can't cool. wait to see. Who knew? I thought there was a bumblebee. Yeah, so just, I do. just
2: the one. Yeah. Yep.
1: No, it's it, that's the wonderful thing about being public horticulturist mm-hmm. on a college campus. <clears throat> yeah, it's just like look at all these resources for information and continuing to learn. They come from hanging around Mm. people who do bugs for a living or (laughs) rocks for a living. It's just a wonderful thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah.
0: That's kind of the interconnectedness of a campus.
1: You know, a campus is a wonderful place to work because that interconnectedness Mm -hmm. is there. So if we're we're growing healthy plants that don't require a lot of inputs, sustainable, those plants are more productive in terms of giving nectar and pollen that is healthful for the pollinators, we'll say, and then who eats the pollinators. So that'll be the birds. Yeah. You know, I don't, know the, the occasional dog will eat a bumblebee, but they <laughs> usually regret it. But, so there's this whole food chain, of course, yeah. is, you know, the food chain you saw in your seventh grade life science mm-hmm. textbook is part of the interconnectedness. But the other thing is we're part of the interconnectedness too. So, uh, being a gardener in a situation where you constantly have your hands on the plants and in the soil means you're physically, truly connected to it. And you're connected to things that other people have been connected to back in time. I'll give you an example. this Nebraska State Champion Colorado Blue Spruce and the Nebraska State Champion Black Hill Spruce are on the CSC campus. And they are at least eighty-five years old, and maybe so. Somebody eighty-five years ago put those little dinky trees in the ground, yeah. and now they're the state champions. And part of our care is to make sure they're doing all right, no broken branches. You know, they had storm damage. We clean up the storm damage. There's really not much to do with an eighty-five year old tree, but just admire it. Mm-hmm. But but there's the connectedness of the gardeners. Generation after generation sure. in a landscape, too. And so that's a real privilege to be part of that. And I think my wish is on campus, if we could figure out a way to get everybody out of their offices just every now and then to dig around with me on something or or pull some weeds even. I don't know. It doesn't have to be anything glamorous, but just to get connected. Yeah. I think that would be a wonderful, wonderful way for the beauty of a, of any garden to go out into the world through the people that are doing the work and just to go back into your office kind of calm down it's good it's a good experience oh i think so and i think i think going th- i think the faculty and students and the staff here have to hit a lot of deadlines and hitting deadlines is stressful. Mm-hmm. And so when you have an opportunity to just get outside and fill your lungs with fresh air and – and uh,
0: yeah. Get your hands dirty.
1: Get your hands yeah. dirty, yeah. So if anybody would ever like to come out and play in the dirt, you will not be rebuffed. You, we will hand you a trowel and, and a set of gloves. The gloves may not match, but we'll have some <laughs> extra ones floating around the buggy somewhere.
0: Well and and people would have an opportunity to help with the the campus arboretum volunteers that what you started yep. in what 10 years ago. So Gosh, Yeah. What 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 are the, what does the CAV do and how much fun is it to be a part of something like that?
1: Campus Arboretum Volunteers is it reminds me of those flocks of birds that you see that kind of do like this. They just the the shape of it morphs and changes over time, um, but the campus arboretum volunteers are folks that are just interested. There'll be folks that show up to a workshop to learn more about. Well, oh, one one time we did a bluebird workshop, so they learned how to build build houses and where to put the bluebird boxes and so on. That was one of our workshops. So they come to learn, and then they come because they're hanging around with other. Gardeners or other folks who are interested in the same topic. That's always nice to find your tribe, I think, yeah. that way. And then the work, the work that we get done, we collect seeds, we make those big swags that we hang out on the main gate at Christmas time. Um, let's see, they prune shrubs, they pull weeds. <laughs> Last year we planted um, uh, grasses on a newly gouged, I'm going to say, slope that is part of the, the Eagle Ridge development that's going on over there. We have this really steep slope that's hard to get anything to grow on, and we just crawled all over that like a hill of ants planting, planting shrubs and wild, or excuse me, grasses and wildflowers. So the campus I read and volunteers have the fun of working together on a project. You know, that's its own kind mm-hmm, of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, some folks want to be up and doing so it's an up-and-doing kind of a group. There's not a lot of sitting around talking about it. The way, the way we organize ourselves is when we have a work day um, that we will get started, have a mini lesson about what we're getting ready to do, and then do the thing. And hopefully, if we've chosen well, we've chosen things that it's time to do in your gardens at home. So we try and, and make it useful to the, the volunteers who come. And to it, have that experience. And if that.
0: someone listening to this is is interested in joining, just to contact you. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Yep. There are no dues. We handle no money. We're not interested in that. Right. <laughs> we uh, we uh, tend to bring our own cookies and <laughs> and dig our own dig our own dirt. We have a really good time. Get a lot of work done. Some of those some, the tasks that we do as work days are one of the, those things that I call many hands make light work. Yeah, 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 you get a lot done. It might be tedious to do just by yourself, but with a group of 10 or 12 people, it's a lot of fun. And the group changes over time. Uh, sometimes people just can't come for a while. Life is going on in one direction or another, and then yeah. they cycle back in. So, Very good. Yeah, yeah, it's been
2: great. That's wonderful. Yeah. So on a uh, kind of a darker note, the wildfires from 2006 and 2012, where uh, CSC had some close calls there and, and the community had some close calls. But let's talk about, um, how. first of all, how is fire a natural part? The wildfire is a natural part of the landscape. And what changes have gone on on the campus as a result of uh, those close calls?
1: Wow, that's a lot of... that's <laughs> yeah, throw a, a lot out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first thing that popped into my head was... Uh, I guess the scope of time that we need to consider. Yes. So let's take 10,000 years as a starting point. Over the last 10,000 years, has wildfire been a part of our geologies, of of this area's experience? Has that, and and it has. Wherever the pine trees gather and lightning strikes. Yeah, it's going
2: to happen. It's
1: going to happen. And so a lot of what happens Uh, in a wildfire and after a wildfire is pretty well understood by folks who make that kind of study uh, their work. The U.S. Forest Service and the Nebraska Forest Service both have presence here in town. And that really helped us to understand what the wildfire that came to the southern end of the campus and then headed east uh, in 2006, yep. helped us understand what that means in terms of recovery. The thing that I learned, and there's always something to learn, uh, was after that fire, which burned pretty hot. Yes. Do you remember the fire? Oh, I do. Yeah, I forget now the acreage, but um, the fire was hot. When it got to, when it came from eight miles south of town, and got to our trees, which are on the south end of our campus, yes. uh, and and burned those. It was pretty hot by then. the The weather was hot. The fire was hot. The fire was big. We had what seven hundred firefighters in the high rise dorm.
2: That's right. Yeah, we were a staging area for for them uh, as part of that uh, uh, firefighting and recovery effort.
1: Everything I heard from the firefighters was they were so glad to have hot showers and oh, hot meals. A, oh, I bet. Can you imagine? Yeah, Ugh. and we were grateful to have them. Oh yeah, we were grateful to have them. And in fact, the wildfire of two thousand and six, it was in the middle of that that I got hired to work. <laughs> at well, the great, great timing. <laughs> oh, I guess I'll be planting. Yep. <laughs>
0: so what, what an onboarding <laughs> that, is.
1: that is. Welcome to CSC. Grab a hose. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where it was. But in any case, those wildfires. Um, uh, in terms of how they affected the campus what they did was provided a focus for a human response to the wildfires oh, sure. people had emotional responses to the wildfire i had never been that close to one before and i was you know a few blocks away watching it right and uh in the night as it rolled up over the hill and what what i learned about our community is uh, the town of Shadron and the surrounding area and the college campus has a great fondness for Sea Hill. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. a really emotional mm-hmm. connection to it. Interesting to me. And that was something to learn. I didn't understand the extent of that before. So there was an emotional outpouring and a what can we do. The Nebraska Forest Service uh came up with the idea of of having a wildfire grant provide trees to be replanted on Sea Hill. I know I planted a few of those with you. Yes. Ben. You remember? Yep. Trooping up the Oh
2: sure. It was it was satisfying. It was I mean it was a good experience we had that our small group doing it and I yep. all those other small groups doing it. Uh I don't know how many of the trees survived, but it 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 was it felt good doing
1: it. Well, actually, a good amount. Good. Now, the um, the replant of the trees, the fire was in 2006 in July and August. Yes. And um, one small replant effort started in 2008 with a group of Girl Scouts that wanted to do something. So we got that one going. And then the grant through the Nebraska Forest Service, uh, the Forest Service guys here in town, yeah. uh, put that through. And we ended up putting... 12,200 pine trees <laughs> on the hill but that's a good amount to put because those hills are covered with grasses and the fire when it hit us did not did not mineralize the soil didn't burn down deep into the soil so those hills were never ungrassed so okay. The grass was burned off, but the roots were still there because there wasn't such a heavy fuel load once you got to Seat Hill. There were right. pine trees, but they weren't thick, thick, thick. Yeah. So that made all the difference in terms of not having bare mineralized soils that things can't grow in. So the grasses are thick, but, you know, when you plant a small tree, think of a pasture. That's kind of what the grasses are up on the hill. Yeah. Yeah. Th- those trees had to compete with grasses. So the percentage of a conservation grade tree, which is just a little tiny tree, you know, maybe this tall and then yeah. this much below ground, and you punch a hole in the ground and you Put the tree root in the ground and push the soil and go on. Well, the grass keeps growing, and so there's a lot of competition. Also, we have plenty of deer up on Seahill. We sure do. And other places. Yes. <laughs> to close for comfort. Well, deer are browsers. Mule deer, particularly, are browsers more than grazers. And so if there's a new woody plant in the landscape, they're going to nip the... So we had smooth brome grass to compete with our 12,200 trees. And we had um, deer browse. And then we had the drought of 2012. You know, it's just like on and on. But there's trees up there now. So, yeah,
2: eight years on from the second wildfire. It Mm -hmm. didn't come as close to campus in that case, but... It's still the drought. So yeah, where are we at now?
1: You know, I haven't done a complete head count of how many trees are growing up there, but I'm very happy to see. I would, if I had to guess, I'd say 1%. That sounds good. It doesn't to most folks, Daniel, but it is good. Yeah,
2: yeah just knowing you know, that that much competition for them, it's like, hey, I'll take anything.
1: Oh, absolutely anything. And the other thing is, you don't want to plant this unmanageable fuel load up there. Yeah, yeah. So create
0: that, a forest. So,
1: <laughs> so when the next lightning strike comes, but the thing that I learned at the very first fire recovery meeting that I attended that was sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service was that it if we did not plant trees on the hill, it would be 125 years for that hill to recover back to the state it was before the fire. Right. So we've stepped that. We've cut 75 years off that, and that's nice. worth something. Yeah, absolutely. So And the trees that are up there, I have some pictures. You want me to get out my phone and <laughs> <to>
2: show you? <laughs> well, send me some. We'll, we'll, I'll put them on screen for the video version of this podcast. Oh, what a great yeah. idea. Yeah, that'll be good.
1: There. It's funny to me, some of them, that they're robust. The ones that are there are robust. They have nice thick stems. And ponderosa pines, which is all that we planted up there because that's what's native and belongs up there. The ponderosa pines spend the first few years of their life, wherever you grow them, under whatever conditions, developing a root system before you see much above ground. But now they're starting to look like little trees. They're about knee high now. Oh, so, this is great. Yeah. So it's they've had ten growing seasons.
2: It has been a while now. Yeah. And I haven't been up to Sea Hill in a, in the last oh, few months at least. I, I need to get get back up there. Oh and gosh. Take yes. a look.
1: You know, a good way to go up Sea Hill is on the running trails. Yeah. That's a good way to kind of. Yeah. Get wind, the winding up. <laughs> wind your way up the hill and and see the town.
0: Just don't time yourself. That, yeah, yeah, get,
2: get a few runs up. Yeah, oh, count, count your steps. Yeah.
1: where a little step counter. Yeah. Sure. Then you can feel good about, why have I been up here for four hours?
0: <laughs> well, Lucinda, we've, we've reached the uh, portion of the interview where we have five quick-hitting questions. So, Quick-hitting just, questions. Just the first thing that comes to your mind. When, okay. When we, here we go. W- Lucinda, what's a favorite movie of yours?
1: Oh, hands down, <laughs> The Man Who Would Be King.
2: Oh, that's a good one. Oh,
1: it's the best. I haven't seen that in a while. No, and I see it every three, four, five years based on the Rudyard Kipling story Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. by the same name. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. A
2: dark movie, but. Well, Yeah. But <laughs> it was. I, I, I do. I do have a soft spot for those three-hour epics from the, the '60s, and '50s, '60s, and '70s. And
1: Is it a three-hour movie? I don't I think know. It was just
2: about. It was a long one.
1: Do you want to hear my second favorite? Sure. Fifth Element.
2: Nice. Oh yeah. Oh
1: gosh, that's a wonderful movie.
0: Yeah, there some wild costumes and oh yeah, special effects in that one. Yeah, I remember that. So you know,
1: those are my two favorites. Okay. I don't know why. I, I
2: okay, like that. that's good variety, broad spectrum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, first concert you
1: attended what kind of concert any kind of concert first concert I attended was in Kearney I was four, and mom and dad took me to the community concert where there was a lady playing a harp and I was so enchanted I ended up and it was in the gym at at the coliseum at the college and I ended up. Down at the base of the stage, looking up at this lady playing the harp. And then when she was done, I didn't know where my mom and dad were. Oh, at. yeah. It was a wonderful concert. That's my first one. That's a good memory. The, f- the first rock concert was Sly and the Family Stone. <laughs>
0: <laughs> What's the best green space on campus? Oh,
1: best.
2: <laughs> In your opinion. We try not to always ask, you know, the absolute, but Yeah.
1: That's pretty absolute. What's the absolute
2: in this case? I'll tell you
1: a place not to be missed, so maybe that makes it the best, is up under one of those big spruce trees on the Dean's Green. It gets nice and cool in there in the summertime. It's wonderful. And you can be, those trees are 80 feet tall or more, 83-something, 80-some feet tall and 35 feet or more across. And when you go in there, you're in this tent Mm-hmm. of spruceness, I guess they call it, and it's quiet. There's decades of needles on the ground. It's completely hushed. Yeah. People can come and go and walk by. They don't know you're there. And it's just beautiful. It's just, I don't know, and that's that. And then you can touch that tree and be connected. You can hug the tree. Go in there and hug the tree, Daniel. That's right.
2: One of my favorite things. We have the uh, grass plantings outside of Kreitz Hall where we're at right now. Mm-hmm. And whenever I walk past those on the sidewalk, I, I just have to put my hand out and brush past them. Oh, I'm I, glad I to that hear feel. that.
1: Yeah. You made you made my day <laughs> because connecting physically like that with a growing environment is a is a. I don't know. It's a pleasurable thing. Well,
0: oh, he forgot to tell you that he just grabs them and then pulls them out. Oh, <laughs>
1: I know Daniel better than that. <laughs> no, he doesn't.
2: I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. Plants can have just this great tactile feeling. To them. Oh
1: yeah, they really can. They really do. So. Yeah,
2: except for the uh, yeah the uh, sandburrs that I grew up with.
1: Well, we have those on campus too. We just yeah, don't like true. to call yeah. them out. I will not put a plant label on those. I,
2: I always <laughs> admire the
0: locust tree outside of Sparks Hall, yeah. but I never touch it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the one with all the thorns. Yeah, it isn't all that incredible? Songs. Yeah, it it's
0: really interesting. Yeah, but don't touch it. Yeah,
1: will we'll call
2: that the visual tactility. We, yeah, I'll go with that. You yeah. could
1: probably poke little, make little little notes to people and poke them on that. On the oh thorns. yeah, that's a good idea. That's a very Marks, thorny tree. It Marks is. Hall notice board right there.
2: <laughs> get get your fresh air and you know get up to date on the newest memos. That's I think a it's idea.
1: a good idea. Let's try it today. Yeah, okay.
2: <laughs> I, I don't think it'll last very long <laughs> <laughs> it's there today. It'll
1: blow off today. <laughs> yeah. My gosh, it's windy. It
2: is. So where are we at here? Uh, how many times have you been up to the top of Sea Hill? Might be a big number.
0: Yeah, it's a question we've asked everyone. Lucinda might have the record.
1: Well, I can tell you that in April of 2009, I made 56 trips up to Seahill. I'm
2: glad you got to count. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I quit counting after that. The April of 2009 is when we did the tree planting project. And so volunteer groups signed up. And oh. I had a morning group and an afternoon group. And sometimes I had two groups in the morning. and uh, Two groups in, so I don't know, hundreds of times. I think we all, yeah. Austin,
2: you did one of those? Yep, didn't you?
0: Yeah, yeah we all I can those. remember. Yeah, there was all sorts of uh, athletic teams that went yeah. up there back oh, yeah. then, and yeah, got the, everyone uh, involved.
1: Well, it was wonderful to see who wanted to be part of it. Mm-hmm. We had uh, we had the wrestling team, we had the football team, we had the women's golf, we had the um, um, the the Shadrin Community Clinic wanted to come. We had a group of kindergartners that wanted to come. And you remember those planting bars, how heavy they were? Yeah, yeah. So I said, you guys can come, but the teachers, I said, bring an adult for every kid because yeah. <laughs> there's no way. But they were so excited. You could hear them all the way from from the elementary school down here. Oh, nice. It was coming the whole way. And one of my favorite groups was the Farm Bureau Services folks. Their office came. And when they found out, and it was four ladies, and when they found out that, the wrestling the wrestlers had each planted 50 trees the farm bureau ladies each planted 51 <laughs> so <laughs> and their trees did really well too good yeah they did a good job so i would have to say i don't know 200 at least at least yeah. i don't know who counts
0: lucinda has That's the record a good experience
1: uh, did i win we're
0: calling it lucinda has the record okay.
1: daniel <laughs> we'll have to get a trophy put together
0: yeah yeah a traveling one maybe okay last one this one's kind of fun Choose one: caterpillars or butterflies. Oh,
1: easy, <laughs> caterpillars. All right, you can't have a butterfly without a caterpillar. <laughs> and if you grow the plants that the caterpillars need, you get the butterflies by default. So, caterpillars. Did you ask that question of everybody too? No, <laughs>
0: that, <laughs> we try. To, yeah, we try to. We try to adjust these based on the guest. Maybe that's one we could keep. That might be a fun one. I would imagine. You would probably be in the minority. Most people would probably say butterflies is my guess.
1: Well, perhaps, but truly, if you have plants that caterpillars can eat, because they're real picky, Mm -hmm. then they're going to grow up and be butterflies. So you'll have them both. So I really didn't make a choice. Okay. I didn't make a choice.
0: (laughs) Well thank you very much Lucinda. We certainly appreciated you taking the time and and for all you do and, and and the crew that you work with for CSC. It truly is a lovely space and thank you.
1: You bet. Thank you. The guys do a, a, an amazing amount of work to keep this keep us trimmed up and green and growing and and yeah. it's on their shoulders that a lot of the horticultural work that you see on campus. It's on their shoulders. So they're they're not here today being interviewed but They're making it happen. It's not just the one person. Oh, (laughs) heck no. 281 acres. And me, no. (laughs)
0: Well, thank you. We appreciate it. Always a pleasure.
1: Thank you.